once again, welcome to our um, Impact Lunch Talks, um, a uh, session where we come together to talk about sustainability in a business-related context. And today we will have a closer look at supply chains. There are different driving forces which demand um, or, or which create the demand for more sustainability across the entire supply chain, and let it be on greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so we have the discussions on the scope one, two, and three uh, emissions, but also from a rather social dimension when it's about um, human rights violations, uh, decent work conditions, and and the likes. Also with the Lieferkettensorgfaltspflichtengesetz. Um, uh, in English, this would be the um, the hang on Act on Corporate Due Diligence. Um, obligations in supply chains, which are different legislations, which uh, which put quite a pressure on, on companies to um, to have their whole supply chain, chains in control. And today we want to zoom in a little bit um, on one uh, aspect, um, which is uh, more on the on the um, yeah, human rights, decent working conditions, and also about this notion of empowering um, your your suppliers uh, along the along the supply chain and. We therefore have Peter with us, um, who will uh, bring in his perspective from a coffee industry um, yeah, experience, because he co-founded a um, startup in that field, and they want to uh, change how coffee is traded. And he will give us some more insights in, in how they did this, uh, what they did differently, and, um, and we will learn a bit more um, on this on this idea of um, of skipping the middleman and basically bringing back the value creation to the orange origin country, and let's see, maybe we can we can um, yeah discuss or, or get more inspiration on how this concept could also potentially work for other industries. So um, with that, Peter, maybe you want to introduce yourself and and tell us a bit more about the startup um, which you co-founded. Cool, thanks Melanie and welcome to everyone um, who is here in the call or listening afterwards to the to the Spotify. Um, so yeah, um, you introduced me nicely. Thanks for that. And uh, you said like we want to we want to change uh, how we trade coffee today. This sounds quite massive, right? Um, so um, let's calm a bit down. So we try to bring a new concept and inspiration how we might be able to do things differently. But yeah, the coffee industry and we will touch on that probably. Um, later today, um, it's quite massive and, and quite rigid. So um, about me, so I did a lot of different things. Basically, background is a bit business administration, finance, um, informatics, um, and stuff like that. Actually, um, a bit of um, financial service background, pharmaceutical background, medical device background. And I guess that's more important for here. I did a lot of traveling um, study-wise, so lived, lived, studied, and worked in seven different countries meanwhile. And two of those countries were basically Colombia and um, Vietnam. And those are both emerging markets. And as you could assume, both countries um, have coffee. And that's why we basically came to the topic. Um, as we lived with coffee farmers, we are interested in the coffee um, field. And then my process supply chain interested guy. And then we said like, okay, we need to change something. And the deeper you go, the more you have the feeling you need to change. And then you go deeper again and you see how difficult it is. Um, so that's, that's where we are at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's that's so far about me living in Switzerland. I'm originally from Germany, so yeah. So, so thanks, Peter. Maybe you can help us a, a bit for everyone who's not into coffee, um, besides drinking it in the morning. Uh, what's the issue with uh, the supply chain and coffee actually, or the coffee trading? 
And that's a very good and very broad question already. I mean, there are tons of issues, right? As in almost every supply chain. Um, so maybe maybe I start with, with explaining how we came to the issue we now now tackling. So basically, um, when we went, so at the time I was a believer, I guess this was the first contact with coffee farmers. And at that time um, we were drinking, so I was with a friend like working traveling long time ago, yeah, very young. And basically I was drinking, or we were drinking coffee, um, which tasted totally different. And it was like, and it was like in a rural area and then it was, oh, oh my God, why is this coffee so different? And then the people told us, yeah, this coffee is from Belize. It's roasted in Belize. It's our home coffee, blah, blah, blah. And then actually going home to Germany, where we have the big uh, roasters, but also the small private exclusive roasters. And we went into the into the coffee roasting facilities and said like, hey, come on, do we have this coffee? We want a coffee which is tasting the same. And they looked into, okay, where is this coffee coming from? Which area, which mountain um, and so on? Gave us a coffee, we took it home and I tested it and it was like totally different. So I went back, said, okay, also it's from the same region. It tastes totally different. I had no idea about coffee, about roasting and all this kind of things. And they said, hmm, actually it's the same roasting profile. But yeah, I mean, this coffee, is this from originally Belize? And we said like, yeah, it's original. We took it from Belize and we took one package home, right? And I said, okay, yeah, but then it's different because they roasted it in Belize and it's a different story. And then it was like, okay, how is actually the process looking like? And then I was in Vietnam, we were in Colombia and learned more and more about it. And I guess zooming out, you need to bit understand the supply chain. So um, actually all the coffee we drink in Europe is roasted in Europe. Europe means Germany or Switzerland mainly. Um, so for example, the coffee is coming from Vietnam, Colombia, Ethiopia, all these different countries normally in the Equator area, um, brought as a green bean raw material um, to Europe. So that's kind of uh, in the chair, you have a bean, it's roasted, it's dried, there are different tons of different processes how you can do that actually. But in the end, a raw material is brought to Germany, it's traded on the stock market normally, there are different approaches, it's fair trade, direct trade and so on. But normally it's a, it's a raw material. Um, it's going through the customs, and then in, in Germany we are normally refining it. And refining means actually roasting, packaging. This is where the flavor, the taste is coming, and where actually the industry and most of the money is actually coming from. So the more you go back to the country of origin, the less margin you have. The more you come to Europe, the higher margin you have, and the highest margin is actually uh, when you when you drink the coffee in the coffee shop or in, in kind of a restaurant. So they have normally the highest margin. And then we said, okay, why is that actually? And how can it be that we even roast coffee in Germany and Switzerland? And then the finished product like Nescafe, and it's, you can look it up. So it's no, no secret actually. They roast it, they bring it from Colombia, roast it in Germany, and then send it back to Colombia and sell it in the supermarket. And if you think about the supply chain there and the, the CO2 emissions and so on, it's kind of a nightmare. And on the other hand, we said like, okay, we are so much talking about fair trade, but still they are actually um, on the country of origin, the farmers are still the weakest part. And they're just farmer and raw material producer. Knowing a bit of business administration, a bit of development, how, how does this stuff work? We said like, okay, that would it, wouldn't it make sense if they don't produce the coffee and then actually get more stuff to do if they get more of the value, if they, can actually um, have employees, infrastructure, and so on. And then we went to Colombia, asked the people, and they couldn't even believe and said, yes, this would be the best for us, but we cannot do it because of two things. 
first, we are not able to do it. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the knowledge. And secondly, um, you don't like it because you just want to buy our raw material. And then going deeper and deeper, you recognize that also the trade system. So it's a very rigid system. There are so many intermediaries. And it's really, it's really stuck for years that the process is just that way. And even the customs um, kind of and tax laws are made for that actually. So for example, if you bring um, a green coffee to, to Germany, um, it's, tax, it's customs free. If you bring a finished product, you pay customs. So what does this mean? Actually by law, we more and more force people to actually bring and create still raw material. And that's since hundreds of years actually. And then I guess it was beginning of, of, of um, the 19th, uh, 1900s that they even enforced that law and, so, and said like, we want to still have that, that we have like customs free raw material trade for coffee with most of the countries in Germany and same for Switzerland and most of the other European countries. So there's actually no way out because it's more expensive if you, if you would produce in, in the country of origin and then bring the coffee. So um, frankly, we said at that moment, hey, that's a bit of modern colonialism, not going with weapons, but frankly said, we, that, that's how we, how we started with emotions, right? And said, hey, we have a system in our, in our customs law, how can that be? And why do we not change that? And then we went into the research and it's, yeah, everyone knows that it is like that, but never, uh, never somebody ch uh, changed it actually. And talking to the farmers, we understood, yes, it would be right. And then let's then we said let let's just start with it, right? And then we recognize it's not so easy. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was basically the emotions um, we started with, and then the fire came, and then we said, okay, let's create, let's create a company out of it, basically. Thanks, Peter, for for explaining a bit the well the the dependencies, um, the opportunities, but also the, the challenges um, in, the, in the coffee supply chain. Um, I think it was, it was really interesting that you also showed like the link between, uh, between these social impact dimensions and the environmental impact dimensions. So the fact that, that if all the value creation is, is done in Europe in, in this context now, that it actually also creates a huge uh, scope three um, emission impact if you ship it back to the country of origin, um, the final the final product. But also, um, yeah, curious to hear how you tackled these challenges, which are so or seem to be so um, so deeply um, intertwined in in the in the legislation um, in in these countries, as well as also the mindset. If I if I understood correctly, so to yeah. to provide not only like infrastructure and and work with authorities um, to to change. Um, the yeah the system, but also to empower the the suppliers on the ground to feel capable to actually do all these steps which they have not done uh, prior. So can you um, tell us a bit more? What is this? What what is it? What you've done in the end, and uh, and yeah. how did you do it? We have done a lot and learned on the way. I mean, that's you know that's that's the normal curve. First, you think you know nothing, then you think you know everything, then you recognize again you you. You understand nothing, and I guess now we have a great view on what's actually what's actually in there. So um, we we lived with farmers in Colombia in the end. We did a lot of interviews. We we tried to understand 
how are they living and what can they actually do? What do they want to actually do? How is the situation with their workers? For example, in Colombia, they are normally harvesting two times a year, which means that's a period of two months each, so four months in total. But I need to get employees for that. It's the so-called pickers, right? And that's actually where the challenge is because that's the really weakest part in the supply chain. It's actually not the farmer, it's the pickers. So um, the coffee pickers are then normally paid by hours or by kilograms, whatever, there are different models out there. But what happens after the two months? So they are either having no job or they have uh, jobs with less payment or um, they have jobs which we would not say it's jobs in Germany. So honestly, um, there are a lot of people there then selling trucks and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of crime around that. So. Um, we said like, okay, this is one part we need to understand. How does the system work and how can we ensure that these pickers have a stable income actually? And then we said, okay, we cannot just extend the harvest that we have like a 12 months job, right? But if you produce and if you give them uh, more work also in the production, then you can say like, okay, two months uh, you are a picker and the other months you're packaging, you're labeling, you are um, and picking picking the coffee, uh, the, the roasted beans and stuff like that. So you can have like a full year employment and that's a totally different story. Maybe not for everyone in the beginning, but that's how we started. We wanted to understand that. Now this was one angle. The other angle, we wanted to understand how does import export um, work? Actually, it's quite straightforward. I mean, you need to find a carrier and then you ship the coffee. But if you want to sell it in Europe, then it's a different story because they really want to understand if you produce in the country of origin, how is the production facility? How, what, are, what about, what about um, you know, um, how to say the, all this health kind of, kind of stuff, you know, um, health certificates for the people and all this kind of stuff. But it's very difficult then actually, you need to deal with the police, with the export. In the export, you have to police, they are testing the stuff, then suddenly stuff is away. Uh, in Germany, you just count the packages and there's some left. So you need to really understand um, each and every part of the supply chain. And yeah, actually it works out quite well if you want to keep it small. So that's what we recognized very quickly. Okay, we need to actually find somebody who can produce coffee in Colombia. So there are some, and that's also in other countries. So we have a lot of, what, I, what I'm telling is not only for Colombia and Ethiopia, we have examples for that in Rwanda. That's a quite famous example of people doing it, but it's not only Colombia, but actually, um, so we created a facility. So a roasting facility is not like a, a, a manufacturing site for BMW. It's quite small, right? It's quite easy actually, but you need a few stuff. You need some stuff how to label, you need the roasting facility, but the most important thing, you need the knowledge and you need the trust that the people trust you to invest into that to trust you that you will buy it actually. And that's one of the most, the most game changers because the first feedback you get, yeah, why should I invest and how can I invest? Because in the end you will not buy it, right? Who, um, who, who, would, who would invest? So who would pay for this facility then which would be yeah. um, built up on the ground? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good question. And I mean, there is, it's not that this countries up here totally poor, right? I mean, for example, Colombia, it's a different story than Ethiopia. It's a bit more emerging. So there's a lot of money for, for such stuff like developing ads and, and stuff like that. So there's a, a lot of governmental money flowing into that um, on, different, on different levels. That's actually what we reuse. And there are banks um, which give credits, but then you need a business plan. So it's working quite well. It's just you need to do it. Um, and the question is, how do we scale it? 
And so this was working quite well. So I guess we, we had like, we traveled seven weeks roundabout. And then after that time we found, we found um, a farmer which was really able to do that. He wanted to do that. We built a facility up, we tested it. And it was, we need to admit it was a very small facility actually. So like roasting two kilograms per hour. So that's kind of very small. It's not very scalable, but it works, right? Um, so then we started with that, but then, you know, the entire paperwork. I mean, if you're not in Colombia, you need to explain everything, right? Which paper do you need for the customs? Which paper do you need for the logistics and so on for the nutrition authority? Then you get feedback from Germany, you need to go back and you need X, Y, Z. So it's a lot about knowledge on that end or logistics knowledge, if you will, and the roasting knowledge. So how, how, do, we, how do we need to roast? How, do, how does the flavor need to be and so on? And actually the packaging, how does the packaging need to look like for a German market? And what we wanted to ensure is that a farmer has an entry to the German market by themselves and really own the product. And that's a totally different, a total different story than actually selling raw material. Because what you create then is that you don't have a farmer anymore. Basically, you know, it works like they're picking the coffee, they're bringing it to a, there are facilities they're bringing it to, and then actually they get cash by kilogram. But there's no business thinking. And with that, we really wanted to ensure, hey, we need to, we need to have people which take part in actually creating something which they can sell. Because if you just throw money on that um, into the countries, the money will be lost again. So we need to build something up. We need to build infrastructure. We need to build knowledge. And yeah, there you need to find people which are willing to do that. And we did, but it's very, very exhausting because how do, how do I explain everything? Yeah. In Colombia, and it's a different culture, it's a different mindset, it's a different time zone. And we work together with people in Colombia, which are from universities and so on. So it works quite well. But what we learned, it's extremely hard to scale. Okay. That's basic, basically, basically one of the main the main challenges. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, because I, I was thinking, um, if if I were a company, maybe not necessarily in the in the coffee industry, but but another multinational company with, with international supply chain um, in an industry where it would, would make sense to sort of yeah, bring some parts of, of my value creation back to the country of origin, skipping a middleman. Um, if I were such a company, Peter, what, what would be your, the key learnings you would like to share with me um, if I were thinking about, um, about yeah. Uh, yeah, making my supply chain more sustainable in that way. So um, a lot of things, I mean, part of the story is also that we tried to talk to the big corporations and we did um, with our network. So, you know, because all the questions, why do they not change? Because if they change and we, we all know who the big, the big coffee producers are, right? And um, then it's even way more impact than we could ever do. Um, but there are a lot of uh, systematic um, kind of things. So for the big corporations, normally you, um, you need to look into the business model. So if you look into the big corporations, the business model is that they have infrastructure in Europe. But it's in the balance sheet, it's in their business model, it's how they earn the margin. So it's not just changing it that a CEO or executive says, okay, I'm changing it. It's a long-term thing. And it's normally not coming from the CEO, it's a level higher, it's the board of directors. They need to to really have the long-term thinking and stand and would and, and need to say, hey, we are changing that because actually it's a totally different business model if you reintegrate that. But that's one thing. The other thing is um, 
what we learned because we also had contacts, you know, like companies like BMW and so on, they are producing in Africa, they are producing in Mexico. So that exists. The question is who is actually owning it? Um, is the, is the uh, management, is it anchored in the country or not? And for a lot of Western, um, Western companies, and I'm always taking the BMW example because I know it a bit, but I was not working for BMW just to, just to say that also here openly. So um, that's why I use this, but um, the, the management system is not anchored normally. So we are very often in the history, they brought like expats to the country of origin and actually the question is who is owning it and where is the money flowing, where's the tax flowing and actually who are the employees. And um, if you then go down in the workforce, like to the simple jobs, actually, you know, like screwing some stuff, then you find the real, the real, um, the real employees which are coming from the country of origin. So what, what we normally say and what we learned also in working together with universities, once you want to develop a country, you need to understand that there is a step from being a farmer or being a farmer country to being an industry country. Industry country means that the country itself is anchoring in the industry. So what I would ask is, um, what is actually an uh, industry which we have the knowledge in the country of origin? That's why coffee is very simple because the knowledge for coffee is way bigger in, for example, Colombia than it would be in Germany because that's where the stuff is growing, right? So there are a lot of um, each, almost everyone in the rural area knows about coffee, chocolate and stuff like that. So it's way easier, it's way easier to anchor it. Because otherwise, we, we have the challenge that we again basically come from, you know, the white suppressor old system, and that's where people are still very afraid. So you need to give the people the chance to be self-empowered and to really own it. So I would say, um, yeah, that's a risk, and probably the big corporations don't want to want to take the risk. That's what we learned. But creating a company in the country of origin, which is actually owned in the country of origin and not just a subsidiary of a European country uh, of a European company, where then again we optimize for tax, we optimize for our margin, and we actually reinvent. That's actually what we learned. And then, if you look into that, there are not so much, so many good examples. So it's coffee, it's um, chocolate. It would be a good example. Pepper, you know, it's also an easy example. So where is the pepper produced? Um, is it produced here or is it produced um, in India, for example? But also all good examples. But for example, yeah, for a banana, I mean, it's not so easy because the next um, um, production step is either that you're directly consuming it, or you would, I don't know, uh, create a banana juice. If you create a banana juice in the country of origin, then you have another issue. I mean, it's very heavier. There is a lot of water in. So you have a lot of other other sustainability issues. So there are not so much examples, I would say. Um, so what what we learned is. You could, you could either say, hey, to totally avoid um, um, the CO2 emissions, why do we even drink coffee in Europe? Do we even need it? So you could just say, okay, we don't drink coffee anymore. And then the problem is solved. But then you have another challenge. People will actually be poorer than today because we bring a lot of money to the country of origins and the people need it because that's their jobs. The question is, how do we bring the money? And yeah. If they produce more, they can earn more with less. So you have also a, a big advantage in biodiversity and actually that people start, the farmers start to produce less. They build like shadow trees and stuff like that because they don't need to go into this big mass um, production anymore. And that's actually 
why we said, and that's coming together with the SDGs, yeah, that we say, okay, yes, we need to drink coffee still, but why do we need to drink so much coffee? Maybe less is better. And then we become more sustainable by that and think about how can we produce it in the country of origin. And maybe it doesn't need to be always freshly roasted around the corner. Maybe it's fine if it's uh, four weeks old and roasted in Colombia. Yeah? Thanks, but that's learning, yeah. from, that's learning from both sides. And in the end, some, somebody needs to buy it. Yeah? If nobody's buying it, because you still have, have the, the I, I don't know, the four, 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 four euro coffee in Lidl or whatever, it will be still a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th thank you. So I, I heard basically the, the advice would be, or, or one of a, of a important precondition is first that you have like not even, not only management buying, but even like the, the drivers is the board of directors. So it's really on a, on a high level, the, the driving force. And then if we, if we talk about bringing the value creation back to the country of origin, um, there could be like two, two dimensions, one really be, being like em empowering the suppliers on the ground, or when you, um, when you build up your own subsidiary, that it's, that it's um, yeah, a conscious selection of the, of the management uh, stuff and, and how you, how you um, bring, bring the local people in. Yeah, yeah so, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe to add to that, so in theory, in the development theory, um, the current view is that micro businesses so micro entrepreneurship might change the game for developing countries. Mm. It's not um, it's not big companies going there and actually forcing them to work for them. It's really about building their own stuff and building their own products and selling their own products and basically export finished goods mm. and setting mm. setting their price. That's also how Europe was growing in the past. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Thank you, Peter. Um, so we have uh, eight minutes left. Um, are there any questions from Melissa, Tim? Mm, I was just wondering, like, if I go to the supermarket now and I buy this kind of uh, upscale coffee and usually this kind of fair trade section and so on, is there anything there that goes into the direction of what you're doing? Or is that all like a corporate uh, diversifying, getting some certificates? Or is there anything... Uh, that's like on scale being done that I can buy in a supermarket or yeah. how is it? So there are a few companies doing it. So we are not the only one. Um, so that, that's point number one. So also in Edeka in Germany, you get that coffee, um, but only in, in a few ones. So we can also talk about offline. I'm not sure if I'm able or allowed to talk about brands now here, but there are a few, um, but it's very rare. So what you normally see is fair trade, direct trade and stuff like that. And that's a different story. So we also did a lot of research on that. Um, I guess there was a time that I, that, I, that I blamed fair trade and said fair trade is not good, blah, blah, blah. Now I would say, yes, fair trade is good. And for the time when fair trade was developed, it was amazing. For now, fair trade is, I would say, old fashioned and not good enough because actually fair trade is certifying raw material trade. And the next step is actually saying, okay, let's, let's go away from raw material trade and that's then where fair trade is not enough anymore. Fair trade is also developing, but you could, for what we are doing, you could not um, certify with fair trade. It's more like a B Corp thing, or um, that you that you certify the work conditions in the country of origin, things like that. So, yeah. But yeah, you find you find it, and it's normally more expensive. <laughs> okay. Okay. For the case, yeah. And maybe I and maybe maybe to add to what, what I just what I just remember so there are even numbers around that 
So it's, it was the number from 2019. So that's the latest export number. So Finnish coffee, um, which was exported to Europe. Um, so entire Europe is basically 0.5% roundabout. So it, it exists, but it's not much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Melissa. Hi, I have a question. Um, I'm not sure if you touched upon this because I came in late, but I was wondering uh, on the part of like obstacles and like challenges to sort of make the supply chain more sustainable. Um, just I kind of like re reacted to one of your comments here on um, what Melanie said, like one thing is, of course, getting the buy in at a higher level. And then you mentioned, of course, also sort of capacity training suppliers at local sites. And I'm just wondering on that aspect. Have you looked into sort of the power dynamics of that relationship in a way? Because I know, at least from what I, I've seen lately, there is this trend or shift where suppliers are not really, um, how do I put it? They don't really appreciate sort of say of just like receiving, being on the receiving end of this is what we're going or this is how we want to do and how we want to become sustainable. So I just wonder like if you've heard sort of those that thinking and and is that like do you see that challenge as well or is that just something that yeah. i've been noticing uh, very good observation um so i mean there, there are two things we talked about now so one is the the startup view so we are going there as a small company with a few people being interested in the people living with them uh, trying to help them so that's how you really get the buy in because you're living with the people you're playing with the, with the children and so on and so forth so that's um, um, working very well because that's how you create trust. Because I would fully agree, normally um, the suppliers in the country of origin are not any more trusting the Western companies. That's maybe not 100%, but in very much cases, that's the case. So what we, what we also learned, if a big corporation would now go there and say, okay, your farmers, we are now changing the system. We are helping you with X, Y, Z. That's the model and concept we want to move forward. And that's the value you create. They are normally shying away and say, we are not interested anymore because you tricked us so often, we don't want. That's really what we what we heard and what people are telling us, yes. Yeah. And that's a, bit, that's a bit sad on the one hand. On the other hand, yeah, that also gives the pressure that the farmers are now really creating their own story, their own product. So it's more and more. The question is, how do they bring it uh, to Europe then in the end? That's a big challenge because then you need to to talk to the to the Western market. Yeah. So the connection is key in the end, and that's very small and very hard to scale, very personal. I'm uh, maybe just a follow up. Uh, uh, I was wondering, like, on a on, from a, so from a corporate perspective, or you already said, like, uh, micro entrepreneurship is more the the way to go, as you see. But I'm wondering, like, when you talk to these corporates. Did, did they ever like really go in detail with this and look at, I don't know, the pure financial business side of this? Because in the end, uh, uh, I guess, you know, you'll, you'll see it in the price, uh, but a corporate could do this at a scale uh, uh, that no one else can. And the impact uh, could be incredible if they maybe, you know, maybe they find a way to facilitate kind of the production in Colombia and in all these countries. Uh, is, is it like, do they not even look at it? Are they like, no, this is just not what we're doing? Uh, or do they go in detail and then they decide, sorry, this just doesn't make yeah. sense for us, or what's the argument usually to not do anything yeah. like that? So 
So it's it's always a question what is what is branding and communication and what it's really done. They are looking at it, um, but more, you know, these big corporations we talk to, it's like a bit reactive. So they more want to understand is the competition and then they quickly understand, okay, there are a few startups, there are a few organizations, NGOs doing it, but actually the pressure is not high enough to change. So that's more for, for them to scouting, um, is, is there anybody threatening us? If the threat is high enough, then probably will change. And um, we need to admit there are there are already, and that's very positive, some for, for mid-sized coffee companies, they're already starting to produce in the county of origin, but then for the county of origin. And that's already good. I mean, if you see this developing countries, I mean, people are earning more, they can also, they are also drinking coffee, right? And today you have coffee farmers in Ethiopia, they never tasted their own coffee. They even don't know how coffee is tasting sometimes. So there's also a potential producing there on a smaller scale, selling in the country of origin, localizing their production. But that's what they're already doing, like in smaller projects, also the big corporations. Yeah. But mm -hmm. connecting both worlds, we didn't see it. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Thank you um, for your questions and, and Peter for, for giving us some insights. Maybe uh, a 30 minute final note from, from you, Peter. Some last words you want to share with us. Yeah, so thanks, first of all, for listening and the, the great questions So really interesting and we're all, all, always really happy to talk about it and getting quite emotional. And I would say um, to close in the end, what we learned, it's really about trust and knowledge and you need to go to the people on eye level. That's so, so important. I mean, if you go there from a Western country and uh, with the few, we know everything better, you already lost the game. <laughs>